said I will make some noise. No, 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 no. Said I, I will, I will, I will, I will make some noise. Dollar. And I cannot preach how I want to preach, you know what I mean? Like, Amen. I, I, I don't know what kind of a tradition you come from, but get ready, get ready, get ready. We love to have fun here. We love to shout the name of the Lord. And, and we have people from all walks of life. So if you come from a Catholic church, I love you. And it's going to be a stressful. No, I'm kidding. You're going to love it here. You're going to love it here. It's awesome. We're so grateful to be a church that's so diverse in, in every possible way. God does this on purpose for us. Look around this room. Look around the room. Look at the seats next to you. Look at the people next to you. There are people here who you might not otherwise ever encounter. And yet God has by design brought us together. And the beauty is that we look just like heaven. Amen. When you go to heaven, it's going to look just like this. So get used to meeting the neighbors to your, ne your left and your right. And especially if they worship different than you, get a little of that in you. Because when you get to heaven, if you're not Pentecostal, you can be Pentecostal if you practice here. I'm just playing. Look. My name is CB. Uh, we're not a Pentecostal church for those of you who are fearful. We, we are a non-denominational church that believes in preaching the Bible. The whole Bible. Every part. The easy parts, fun parts, hard parts. We preach book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line by line. We don't cherry pick. We teach everything in context. That means some messages will feel like, feel like God is cheerleading you. Amen? It will be so encouraging. You'll be like, he's for me. I love it. And then other weeks it will feel like God told me everything you're going through and I'm spilling the beans to the whole church. Amen? That's all so good. None of this is to be left out. We're also a church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you see somebody in this room praying in tongues, jumping around, spinning, whirling like a dervish or running, that's good too. Don't you worry. You're still in the right place. I'm godly grateful to be a part of a fellowship like this and so excited to see you. It's Palm Sunday. Today's the day we celebrate the fact that our Jesus walked into Jerusalem and everybody cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. The term literally translates to pray, save us, and that's exactly what he came to do. Today is the day we celebrate the beginning of the final week of Jesus' life. If you know anything about Holy Week, you know that every day is full of beauty and wonder as Jesus finishes, tops off, and ties the loose ends so that his work would be perfect. And when he says it is finished, it would be finished. You're not here by accident today. God brought you here for a reason. Amen. I want to share with you just a couple of announcements, updates, exciting things that are coming here. We're going to give you an opportunity to be generous and sow into what God is doing to this baby church. And then we're going to dive into our word. We're studying the book of Galatians continuing that study, 16 weeks in this book. We're week seven or eight, and uh, we're picking up in chapter three today. But a couple things I want to share with you. Next Sunday, as you know, is Easter. Yeah. 
Amen. I've heard, I, I think Pastor Ty called it the Super Bowl for Christians. Amen. And if you're soupy, if you're like apostolic, you call it Resurrection Sunday. You don't call it Easter. No matter what you call it, I want to tell you this very clearly from the bottom of my heart. There are several Sundays over the course of a year where people who do not often get a chance to encounter God will go to church. And this Sunday is one of them. And I want to, I want to challenge you. That's why we prayed what we prayed today. To use this week as an opportunity to be a bringer. And you said, I've been to church, I've heard this before, let's fill it up, let's make it big. I don't, hear me, that's not what we do here. We don't care about the size of our church, amen. We care about the depth of the disciples of the people in our church. And as God is growing you in this church, maturing you, perfecting your faith, taking your heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh, there should be something in you that clicks that says, more people got to know about my Jesus. And this is the greatest week to do it because the people who always tell you no, (laughs) guess what? They're like, fine, it's Easter. And that's all you need. Because if you're in sales, all you need is one non-no and you know you can close the deal. Amen. I want to invite you to invite some people for this coming Sunday. We're going to be full. It's already full. You know every Sunday we have standing room. So we're going to do two services, one at 9 and one at the 11. On your seat should be plenty of cards. I want you to take those cards with you and hand them out to people. Here's my challenge. If you are really saved, come to the 9 a.m. Amen. The 9 a.m., I want to challenge you. Only my CCU students can come to the 11. That's not to say you're not saved. Amen. But I'm giving them a pass because here's, here's the deal. CC, I want to challenge you. Bring them. Bring them. I preached at your, at your revival, at your retreat. I preach on your campus. You know and I know they need this Jesus. Amen. You bring them. Bring them. We'll give you the whole 11. But I need your sign-in. Okay? I need your co-sign and your buy-in. If you love Jesus and you are grown folk, come to the 9 a.m. Amen. Let's make some room for people to encounter Jesus in this place. Can you help me thank God today? Amen. Amen. And then also so you know, the following Sunday, April 16th, we're going to be hosting our very uh, next membership class. It's called Beacon Basics. We do this once a quarter, and it's right after service. After service on the 16th, that's two weeks away, we walk a half block down to Hooked on Colfax. It's a local coffee shop. They let us meet there for free. I'm going to buy you coffee and anything that you want, and we talk about what Beacon is all about why we're here in the city, what we fight for, what we believe in, and what God is going to do through us. And so if you've been feeling a stir in your heart that says this might be home and you haven't made it official, please put a ring on it. Come on now. I want you to come to that class so we can find how we can grow together, deploy you for the Lord, and God will use you in a major fashion. Amen? Amen. A couple more things for you real quick. Um, If you're not already involved in a group, I want to encourage you to do that. We have six small groups or groups that meet throughout the city on an ongoing basis. Amen. Four of those groups are co-ed groups and they meet at homes throughout the city. There's one in Parker, Aurora. Uh, there's one in our Westminster, one in West Denver. And then we have two specific groups, one for men on Monday nights and then another one called Single Sisters that meets once a month. So ladies, if you're not plugged into Single Sisters, get in. You can register in the app. Fellas, Jump into the men's group, and if you just need more Jesus in your life throughout the week, I want to challenge you, join a group. We call them fires, and this is why. 
this place is a blazing inferno. Amen. But how many of you know you got to stoke a little bit of fire throughout the week? And fire groups is the best way for us to gather together, talk through scripture, grow each other, fall in love with each other. And I want to challenge you to do that today. Amen. Last thing and we'll jump into our offering. If during the time together while I'm preaching, if the Lord does what he always does. You know how he, uh, he kind of rubs at your heart a little bit? If he pokes you, if he provokes you, if he convicts you, if he encourages you at any time during this sermon and you feel like this is something he wants to work with you, I want to join with you in prayer. During the sermon, you may see this slide come up. In our app, there's a way for you to submit a prayer request in real time. And there's a prayer team in this room right now who will pray for it the moment you submit it. You said, I don't have the app, so easy. Text the word BEACON to the number 97000, 97000. It'll send you a link. You can download the app. I want to encourage you to do this. It's the best way for us to come alongside you. Our prayer team prays for you now. And at the end of the day, I pray for every prayer request that's coming in. It is the way that we walk with you in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Help me thank God for the opportunity to be generous this morning real quick. I want to encourage Come on, help me thank God. That we get to be generous in this house. Our God is a generous God. And I'm grateful for him. Amen. I want to show you something real quick because it's the beginning of Holy Week. I want to show you something. Just one page after Jesus' triumphant entry. In Luke 21, verse 1 through 4. The Bible says that on the Wednesday of Holy Week, Jesus was in the temple. It says Jesus looked up and he saw rich the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And then he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she gave out of her poverty. And she put in all that she had to live on. Now you've probably heard this before. And I've, I've taught on this before. But something struck me today. The beauty of this story is not just that she gave everything, although that's amazing. The beauty is that she didn't delay. You see, I would, I would push to say that everyone who's had a real encounter with Jesus has at some point during their walk with Jesus felt compelled to be generous. Amen. You, you've... you've you felt the Lord push on you to say, I, I want you to trust me with this. You've heard me teach. God says, I dare you. I double dog dare you. It's the only time in the Bible that God tells us to trust him in obedience when we give. And I know that everyone in here at some point has felt the urge to be lavishly generous. And I also know that mo most of us who have experienced that urge in the Holy Spirit have also had moments where we've pushed it down. Am, am I talking to the right room? You ever been there? You've been like, I want to, but. And one of the reasons that most of us do it is because we want to wait. We say, I really want to do this, but first, I've got to pay this bill. First, I need to wait until that check comes in. First, I just need to get it so that I'm not getting payday loans. First, I just need to get things right. And once I get things right, then I will give. And the best part about this story is not that she gave everything. It's that for a moment when she felt the urge to give, she didn't wait another minute. 
She just said, I sense the Lord is calling me to do something. I'm going to do something. And that is the picture of what generosity and obedience really look like. That's why later on, the Bible tells us not to give begrudgingly, but with a cheerful heart. The idea is that the moment that God has invited you to be generous is the perfect moment to give. It's right then, right there. That's the goal. So today, I want to challenge you. If you feel compelled to join with what the Lord is doing here in this little baby church here on Colfax Avenue. If you sense that the Lord is moving you to be generous. I want to challenge you to, to act now. Don't wait. On the screen behind me should be several ways that you can give by check. You can drop it in the bucket by cash. You can drop it in the bucket or you can give via the app, web, or text. If God's telling you to be generous, don't wait. Do exactly what he says. Amen? Let me pray over your gift today. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, I thank you that we get to give. Let us never lose sight of the fact that you invite us to be a part of what you do. You give us agency in the miraculous supernatural work here on earth. And God, when we, when we feel that, that push to be generous, God, I ask that you'd quiet the voices that tell us to wait, to pause, to hold. You'd quiet all of the things that give us a reason not to give, and you'd help us to hear you loud and clear. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. I want to thank you. For those of you who are faithful givers, I want to thank you for those of you who are learning to give. When we planted this church, um, uh, conventional wisdom was that we should plant it in an affluent neighborhood. The rule is if you can plant a church in an affluent neighborhood, then they will be able to provide for the budgetary needs of the church. Amen? And I was like, that's perfect. I don't know if you know anything about this neighborhood, but all these houses are like a million plus. Amen? But the truth of the matter is, is that whether or not people give is not indicative of whether or not we will go. And this is a challenge to all of you today, okay? We planted a church in a place that doesn't like church. For, who, for people who need the God of this church. And this room is full of working class people. People in recovery. People from all walks of life and students. And our budget is small. But our God is big. And for those of you who continue to sow, thank you. For those of you who are getting ready to sow, thank you. God is going to do a mighty thing in this church. Amen? Amen. Help me thank God one more time for the opportunity to give. Hope you all don't mind that I just teach a little bit on that. I think it's important. Um, I believe in, in the power of giving. And Chanel and I will test to the fact that, boy, you just can't outgive God. You have your Bible say, yeah? Yeah. You have a paper Bible, say, hallelujah. That's it. That's how you know you're Christian. Grab your Bible, open it up to Galatians chapter 3. We're in the middle of a 16-week series studying Paul's letter to the church in Galatea. If you're new or you haven't been a part of this series, what you should know is we're walking through this letter line by line. Paul's writing a letter, it's called an epistle, to a church that he started, a church uh, or a series of churches on the southern coast of Galatea, a Grecian region, which is now modern-day Turkey. And, and Paul loves these churches. He, he's their pastor, and he, he adores them and believes in all that God is doing. 
but some things have begun to go awry in the church. Amen. And so because he's their pastor, he realizes, well, if I don't fix it, maybe no one will fix it. And this letter is a letter to people he loves with a firm voice to correct error so they can be in righteous right standing and be free as Christians. That's the point of the letter. And I want you to hear it because I don't want you to miss the fact because the language is going to get pretty tough here in just a minute. The language is tough. The tone is firm. The mission is corrected because he loves them, because he wants them to be free. And because if he doesn't step in, they will miss the power of the gospel and be bound in religion. That's good. Amen? Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. It's getting heavy. Ready? Here it goes. Oh, foolish Galatians. I don't know if you've ever received a letter from somebody <laughs> and had them started off with an insult, but it would be probably difficult to read that paragraph. Amen? Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or deceived you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of the faith are blessed, among, along with Abraham, the man of faith. The title of our message today is Counted as Righteous. Did you know... That for those of us who are walking in faith, we are counted as righteous. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word today. Remove me from the room. Have your way. Uh, soften our hearts and our minds that we might hear from you and be freed from the bondage of religion, of works-based faith, to be free free, free, and counted as righteous in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who are in small group, you probably have a workbook. Whenever we study an epistle in the spring, we give workbooks to people in small groups. Uh, and, and, and each workbook has each lesson done and written out so you can take notes. And they have a big idea. And the big idea for our message today, a good takeaway, is, is this. You, hear me, you don't need to improve on the work of Jesus. Amen. You don't need to improve on the work of Jesus. You just need to follow him. Now, I know it sounds simple. But as we talk through this message today, I think that you're going to find a few ways in which you've been trying to improve on Jesus' work in your life. You've loved what he's done, and here's a little spice. Amen. The challenge for most of us is to understand that what he's done is perfect and sufficient and needs no revisions in Jesus' name. Now, when Paul writes this letter, he's, he's been kind 
and, and, and he will get very kind towards the end. There's a whole section in this letter where he talks to us about the gifts of the Spirit, and it's this beautiful, poetic illustration of the power and potential that comes when we allow the presence of God to emanate from our lives. When he starts the letter, he begins to set out the thesis of the correction that he needs to make, and, and, and he even tells some stories about how we got where we are. And as he makes the turn in this passage of the letter, we find that, that the apostle's tone has changed just a touch. He, he's he's a essentially saying this to people he loved, you're acting like a fool. The, 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 the idea that I think he's trying to get across in the first three verses of this passage is you, you are all acting like fools. This is foolish. It's just plain foolish to think that Jesus's work is not finished. And I love that part of the Bible. You've heard me talk about the way I love the, when Jesus talks to me. Uh, I'll, I'll say it again because I think it's great. Sometimes people hear Jesus and it's sweet and tender. How many of you have like a wonderfully gentle, whispering Holy Spirit? Do you have that? Anybody? You can raise your hand. Lucas and Michelle, that's why you're getting married. It's perfect. <laughs> How many of you have like a, an honest, convicting Holy Spirit? He tells you the truth. Sometimes you don't like it. Okay. How many of you have kind of like a cranky tank, tough God that talks to you? Amen. You and me, but just the pastors? Oh, no. No wonder we're always having a bad day. I love you. No, you don't. Oh. Every one of us hears God in our own special way. I believe that the way the Holy Spirit speaks to the lives of the people whom he loves is by design. So we can cut through the clutter and get to you right where you need to. And Paul writes, Paul writes to these people that he loves, the church, in a fashion that I like when I talk to my God, which is real honest, even if it hurts my feelings. Many of us don't like that, amen? Many of us do, don't like people that tell the truth. But I want to push you today. You need more people who will tell you the truth, even if it hurts your feelings. Amen? Let me just say it over to this side, because they, they got it. They were like, I rebuke that in the name. You need more people who are willing to look you in the face and say, that is stupid. Stop it. A lot of us have friends who are, we, we joke about having ride or dies. We, you know, I don't know if you're, some of our culture here in this church <laughs> talks about having ride or dies. People who are with you no matter what. And if you say, I'm getting in a fight, they don't ask questions. They just go fight. <laughs> you don't need those people. Can I break it to you? I know that sounds fun. That's not good. You don't need people who are, you're just like, I'm going to go make a mess. And they're like, let's get messy. No. You need people who say, don't you think you got enough mess already? You need people in your life who are willing to see, here it is, the very best that God has in you, even when you can't see it in yourself. So that when you're on the wrong track, they can say, no, baby, this is the way. I want to be grateful for truth tellers in my life. Now, we live in a world that's averse to truth. Let me just talk about it for a second. We live in a culture that thinks there are multiple truths. It's a logical fallacy. Hear me, let me just be real honest with you. From a rhetoric standpoint, from a philosophy standpoint, there can be no such thing as multiple truths. 
there is but one truth which makes all things foul, false. Amen? It makes them all false. But this world wants to have multiple truths or wants to reject truth or wants to dictate how truth can be delivered. If you're going to say it to me, say it to me sweet. Please don't waste my time saying it to me sweet. Please say it to me so I can be made whole, new, and renewed. Amen? I want to be the kind of person who is willing to have someone speak into their life. I had a friend. I'm, I'm, I'm getting serious. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I had a friend, a series of friends, and one of them got dumped. And we gathered together. This is about 10 years ago. We gathered together to commiserate with him, right? And I don't know if you've ever had somebody go through a breakup. But people have literally no idea how to comfort each other in those situations. Am I right? We're gathered together, and he's talking about her and how he lost her. And, you know, mixed emotions. He's sad, and he misses her, but he's, but, but he's remembering all the bad things. And one of my friends leans over, and he means so well. He's so tender and gentle. And he says this thing that I think was supposed to help, and it didn't. He said, I never liked her anyway. <laughs> Some of you were replaying some conversations where you said that. <laughs> oh, here's what my friend said. Ready? My friend who'd been dumped heard his friend who loved him and said, I never liked her anyway. And he said, then why didn't you tell me? <laughs> and I would say this, where have you been? Where have you been? How many of you are walking a road with people you know are getting off track? And you're thinking, that is not good. And you're saying nothing. Can I tell you this today? You desperately need people who are willing to tell you the truth. And you desperately need to be the kind of person who will tell the truth. Hear me, okay? You get what you give. And if you really want to be perfected, matured, and grown in the group, the community, the body of Christ, please be a perfecter, a maturer, a grower of other people in the body of Christ. Away with the church that just turns another cheek when one we love is trapped in sin. Now, I don't know where you come from. Maybe you come from a secret church and you're like, dude, this dude is hard. Wait, it gets worse. Hear me. You can't do this to each other. We can't do this to each other. It is downright evil to see someone trapped in evil and call it good. If you really love me, call me out. Tell it to my face. If it doesn't work, tell it to my pastor. If that doesn't work, march me right up here. You don't like that part. That's Bible, just so you know. Tell me where I'm falling. Amen? I hope you don't mind if I labor on that point for just a minute. But I'm sick and tired of being around us when we won't hold each other accountable. Now, let's put some skin on it, okay? Fellas, that means you're going to have a brother in this church who's going to tell you the truth. You ain't going to like it. Please keep him as your brother. That's the best one you got. Fellas, it means that when your wife, hear me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, brings something to your attention... Listen, I failed this week. My wife is my best ally. 
sweetest encourager, probably the most honest truth teller. And I, like most of us, when confronted with the beauty of truth from someone we love and powered by the Holy Spirit, I didn't do it right this week. Amen? She told me something and I was like, you know what? And I did my thing. <laughs> but God turned me around. He's like, you don't walk out of that room. You sit back down and take this sandwich, right? Here's what I want to tell you. Put some skin on the game. God uses the very closest people, the very holiest people, the very kindest people, the very nearest people to speak the most powerful truth in your life. Please stop rejecting the truth spoken to you by people you love. Amen? Here's the problem with that. You might say, okay, I get it. Stop. I get it. Wonderful. Here's the problem. The problem is when we don't correct each other, when we're not honest with each other, when we don't have the bold spirit of Paul to call it like it is and call each other out, what happens is we turn our cheek to sin and thereby tolerate sin, which means we live in a Christian culture that not only tolerates but eventually celebrates sin. So when things that we know are wrong are no longer labeled as wrong, eventually they became okay. And so now all of a sudden good things are no longer good things, bad things are good things, and good things go over God things, and God things seem weird. Here's the problem with this. When we live like that, we are exactly what the Bible refers to as scoffers and mockers. Show me. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law, the word of the Lord. And on his law, the word, he meditates day and night. God has a special trouble with people who call good things bad and bad things good. He calls them mockers and scoffers. They are destructive, deadly, and doomed. Hear me. You're new to this church. I will not sugarcoat this word for you. I want you to hear this whole thing. Because you've been living in a world full of teachers and preachers who've been telling you you're sweet and beautiful. And God loves you just as you are and you don't got to change at all. And I want to tell you that ain't the gospel. He loves you just as you are. Come in and make changes. Why? How? Because he wants to. Guess what? I can't do it. Wonderful. You can't do it. I can't do it. He will do it. He takes his heart of stone and pulls it out. He puts in a heart of flesh. He makes all things new. He renews the mind and transforms the life. Here's the challenge for all of us. We've got to be made new. And all of us are celebrating old. We love old you. Oh, he's so wonderful. He's so sweet. I mean, he deals with some things, but no big deal. Really? No big deal to God? I've never read a scripture that says God doesn't mind some sin. In God's eyes, all sin is rebellion. And when you call sin good, you are a mocker. I hope you don't mind if I push you today. He says you're a mocker. And what you're effectively doing is saying, when God said it is good, when Jesus said it is finished, you're like, nah, maybe not. But I want to tell you today that when, when God says a thing is good, it's good. Right. Even if you don't like the way it feels. Right. Amen? You lose your job <clears throat> and God did it, it's good. Right. Amen? You're like, but wait, I'm broke. It's good. If you got dumped, oh, but God did it, it's good. 
Now, you won't know until about 18 months. What's the rule for every month you were in love? A month of recovery, right? <laughs> Eventually, you will come around to see that if God did it and he says it's good, it's good. Amen. So when Jesus hung high and dropped his head and said, it is finished, guess what? It's finished. And there's nothing more that needs to be done. And that's why Paul writes this letter to this church in Galatea. He says, y'all have missed the mark. You have begun to change the way you think about the gospel. You have begun to live in sin and call it good. You begin to pretend that what Jesus said, what God has done, is not what he needs to do, that something else needs to happen. And that's dangerous territory for any believer, hear me, no matter how well-meaning it is. And he's writing to a church that means well. They've been infiltrated by Judaizers who have been encouraging a practice, a religious practice. They are not devil worshipers. These are God-fearing, God-loving teachers with wrong theology. Hear me. It's a big deal to get doctrine right. Amen. We believe in doctrine. I teach doctrine, doctrine, right? The right things. There is no ambiguity in the word. And so when Paul writes these tough things to a church that he loves, he's not talking about like, you know, money series. He's not talking about how to live your best life. He's not talking about purpose or relationships. He's talking about doctrine, salvation, sanctification, justification, the principles of the faith. And he's writing to people who mean well but are getting it wrong. And what's happening in this church is they're trying to tell him, the church, they're trying to teach each other that practice makes perfect. If you do this, then you will be made perfect. But here's the answer. Practice doesn't make perfect, does it? No, it doesn't matter what you do. You can't make you perfect. Amen? The Judaizers who have walked into this church, have infiltrated this church, are teaching this. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you're saved. Yes. And you must be circumcised so that you can both fulfill what the Lord has done through the death of Jesus and the law of Moses. And without the two, you will not make it. That's the teaching, okay? And it sounds so right. I mean, save for the fact that it's circumcision. Come on, somebody. I'd have been like, that is definitely the devil. There's no way. But here's the problem. They're talking through a religious lens, a Judeo-Christian lens. Paul was a Pharisee who taught this very thing. And as he's teaching the new gospel and these churches are encountering countering the story of the gospel, they also know the history of the Jesus and where he's come from. The entire thing is wrapped in one big ideological bubble. And so when they say yes and the law of Moses, it sounds so good, it must be true. That's the problem with wrong teaching is it's rarely in error openly. It's mostly hidden in some truth. A couple errors that you might not know about that have snuck into the church today. Cheap grace. Say the prayer and you're good. How about this? Prosperity gospel. Give and he will give back to you. How about this? Word of faith. If you name it, you can claim it. How about this? Word of faith. He desires to make you wealthy. How about this word of faith? Everyone will be healed. How about this word of faith? Whatever you want, God will provide. How about this word of faith? Whatever it is that you dream, he will sign up to help you achieve. How about this? The world is changing and this book is old, so some of it doesn't really match today. 
You see, there's good stuff in the Bible. Don't throw it all out. But you know the parts where he starts talking about marriage? We've moved beyond that. Hear me. You see, you see how it's wrapped in good teaching? And then underneath it, it's a picture of what the enemy has always done. Did God really say? The enemy cannot create doctrine or anything, but he can imitate all things and question all things and get you to be deceived about the things that God has imparted into you. False teaching always starts with a truth and then hides a lie. And these Judaizers are teaching a false truth that sounds like truth. Thank God we don't have Judaizers in the church today. But we do have false belief in the church today. Here's the worst one. It's the way that this happens every day in the modern American church. The way that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ start with faith and lose track of the way and fall into works. It's how we go from a relationship with Jesus to trapped in a religion stuck on Jesus. And it works like this. You come to Beacon or any other church and the gospel is presented to you. And because it's the truth, it's irresistible. When God speaks to your heart, right to your circumstance and tells you, I love you so much that Jesus died for you. Me, in the midst of my sin, absolutely. Me, as bad as I am, 100%. And what we want to do with you is to give you life and life more abundant. All that you need to do is call on the name of Jesus, put your trust in him, and he will do the rest through you. That's unlike any other religion ever. Every religion in the history of the world has always been, if you will do this, then, right? Ask anyone. These are the prayers that you must pray. This is the penance you must make. These are the deeds you must accomplish. This is the pilgrimage you must take. This is this, this is this, this is this. And once you complete it, then God will look upon you. And our faith says God looks upon you. And because Jesus did this and this and this, he adores you. And when you hear the gospel in a church like that, it becomes irresistible. And the pastor says, we're going to pray. You want to pray? And you're like, I've been waiting all day. Let's pray. And you say yes to Jesus. You raise your hand. You say the prayer. And you go home. And what happens is when you go home, you're still human and you're still dealing with many of the human issues that have faced you. And so while you know there's been a heart change, it's not an instantaneous life change. And because you're just like everyone else, you make a mistake or you stumble. Amen. Am I talking to anybody here? You said, I love you, Jesus. And then you messed up. And the enemy does this thing when you mess up. He doesn't repeat what the God of all things says to you, which is you can fall and I will get you up. We're working on this thing. It's an ongoing work in the spirit. No, the enemy says you fell, it's not true, it's over. You ever felt that way before? You ever said the prayer on a Sunday and been unsaved on a Monday? Whoops. Amen. You say yes to Jesus and then you make a mistake and the enemy deceives you into thinking one of two things. Either you're not worthy of God's love or God's love is not real. And what happens is we're desperate for the sense that we had when we said yes to Jesus and ashamed of our sin that we find a way. We're desperate to seek, ask, 
and knock to get our way back to heaven. And rather than simply turning back to the relationship with our father, we run from our father and find a way to make it right. I see this all the time. People say, Pastor, I want to come to your church. I just got to get my life right first. And I'm like, bro, if you get your life right first, you'll be the only one in the room with a life right. They said, dude, see me, I love it, man. I can't wait to go, but I just, I just keep, I keep messing up. And I, I was wondering, like, because I'm just not really sure if, like, if it's working for me. I wonder if I can, like, what's the hardest thing you have to do? I hear this all the time. What's the hardest job at the church? And I'm like, why? And they're like, I just want to serve. And I'm like, why? I don't know. Here's the answer. Because they think that if they work hard for God, God will become more pleased in them. That's why there are millions, hear me, millions of parachurch organizations throughout the world. Christian organizations that are focused, oh, this is going to break some hearts in this room, that are focused on Christian labor, but not on Christian living. Oh, i got to push it a little bit harder because I want you to see this. There are millions of things that Christians do primarily at their core so that they can feel better about how they've messed up in Jesus. And so they serve day and night, thinking it will earn their way back to heaven. But that's not how it works. Because if, if you had to earn your way back into good graces, then Jesus' death on the cross didn't do anything. Or worse yet, if you really can work your way into feeling better about your sin, let's say you say yes to Jesus and you and your girlfriend decide we're not living together anymore, we're not sleeping together anymore, we're celebrating, we're taking this serious. Pastor, we mean it. And then that night you mess up and so then you start serving like crazy to get yourself back into God's graces and it works and you feel better. Guess what you've just done? Justified your faith to yourself and justified your sin as if to say, I can do anything I want so long as I work as hard as possible, and then Jesus will say, it's okay. Hear me, that is dangerous territory. When you begin to think that what you do for the Lord is more important than what the Lord has done for you, you have elevated yourself above the Lord. Here's what we're called to do. my sin. I'm not really even sure I can beat it. But you're Lord. And I'm sure that you can. So take all of me. Every inch. Prayer on Sunday. Amen? Stumble on Sunday night. Ready? You don't sign up to serve on a team in Beacon. It's me again. I, I'm still not perfect. I want to be perfect. I want to be made new. Have all of me again. That's it. That's what it looks like. That's the relationship. That's faith 
you said, wait a minute, hold on, it's not that easy. Ready? Ready? Yes. It is. Well, wait a minute, what about obedience? Absolutely, obedience. Isn't it awesome how the sin that you didn't even think was sin last week is now rubbing you raw this week? Guess what? God's begun to do a new work in your heart. The things you loved, you don't love no more. You don't talk the same. You change the radio station. K-Love again? Yes, I can't believe it. It's the same four songs and I love them. You said, don't I have to suffer? No, he suffered. Don't I have to pay a price? No, he paid a price. What do I got to do? He done did it for you. Just say, I want more of you. I'm ready for more of you. Take me, take me, take me, send me, change me, break me, mold me, have me, love me. I love, I love you. That's why Paul says, you, you fool. Why have you been working to earn a love they gave you? Well, why are you so desperate to be righteous when he already called you righteous? And a word about righteous as we close our time. Verse 7, 8 and 9. Paul says, know then this. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. He says in the scripture for saying that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of the faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. And you might read this, because if you don't have a full understanding of the history of our faith, and it might seem like a strange jump off. He might be talking about Judaizers and false teaching and then jump way back. But you need to understand why he does what he does. For just a moment, as he's preaching to a church to correct them because he loves them, it's as though he turns his head to the false teachers and teaches right to their faith. And he says, and now you listen up. You see, he's talking to a teacher who was referencing a practice codified by Moses and made into Judaic law, but initiated by the father of the faith, Abraham. So when they talk about circumcision, it carries with it this legacy of who we are. This has always been who the people are who trust Yahweh. They're talking about the circumcision that, that Abraham did to Isaac in Genesis 21. Okay? This circumcision, which is Mind-boggling. Seriously. The story of the birth of Isaac in Genesis 21 details the fulfillment of the promise and the way in which God, having spoken directly to Abraham, said, now circumcise your son that he might be set apart just as you are and all of your descendants shall carry this on. And so when the Judaizers are teaching they're implying, don't forget, this has always been us. And so when Paul turns to them and says, sure has, this has always been a part of who we are. But let me reference Genesis 15 to you. He says, it's true that Abraham circumcised Isaac, but that didn't make him righteous. You see, that was an outcome of a man made righteous. That was the fruit of a man 
counted righteous. Genesis 15, verse 5, it says, He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, God, talking to Abraham, and then number, the number the stars. Are you able to number them? And Abraham's like, uh, no. <laughs> and God says to Abraham, That's as many kids as I will bring forth from your loins. And Abraham, in his old age, you've ta- we've talked about this before, ready? And looking at his old wife, <laughs> he's like, no. There's a lot of kids. We've been practicing. It doesn't work. No, it says he, it says, having heard this word from the Lord, Abraham believed God. It says he believed God and God counted his belief as righteousness. Hear me, hear me, okay? The moment that God said, I hear your promise I don't see any evidence, but I believe you. God said, righteous. Hear me. Later on, when he circumcises his son Isaac, that didn't make him righteous. He was already righteous. Amen? He didn't try to earn the promise. God didn't say you'll have a lot of kids. And he was like, cool, let me just go get a bunch of kids. No. Give me your kid. God said I was going to have a lot. I need yours. No. He said God's going to have. Bring forth a mighty nation through me. And people are like, your wife is old. Doesn't matter. I believe him. So Abraham counted as righteous. And Paul says, when we live by faith, we look like the father of the faith. He was counted as righteous. We are counted as righteous. And the Judaizers say, yes, but when you follow the rules and practice the practice, then you're made justified. That's how it's always been. And Paul says, no, before the rules was the righteous. You see, the rules come out of the righteous. It's by the righteousness and the power that is birthed in the faith and the promise that God has made that Abraham even has the wherewithal to nearly kill his son because God said do something. It's because of the faith and the trusting and the promise that Abraham has the chutzpah to trust God as his word and keep going, keep moving forward. Where was he going? He hadn't been told yet. He just said, I trust him. And God said, that's what righteousness looks like. It doesn't look like saying seven prayers at the end of the day. It doesn't look like a 4.30 a.m. devotional that you feel obligated to do. It doesn't look like a reading plan that you hate. Righteousness says, I trust you. I don't trust myself sometimes, but I trust you. And what you say, I believe, even when I don't like it, I trust you. I love you. And God says, that's righteousness. And we miss it all the time. Because it's so hard to believe that God will look at you in your mess and say, righteousness. You said, but look at me. And he's like, I... I, I am looking right at you. I only see the blood of Jesus. Righteous. You said, but look how many times I fall. He said, a righteous man falls seven times. And you're like, I'm working on eight. He's like, I got that one too. Don't you worry. It's not in what we do. It's in whom we believe. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every addition that says you must also add the following. Every subtraction that says that part of the Bible doesn't go. 
every modification and every revision that says Jesus and, hear me, it's foolishness. And that's the dividing line of the teaching today. Righteousness. Foolishness. Trust him with your whole heart. be called a fool. Give him everything that you have or live like a fool. Believe when he says you're righteous or call him foolish. God is not a man that he should lie. If he said you're righteous, guess what? You can't change his mind. You can't change his mind. You can't make him unlove you. He said, Pastor CB, man, you don't know my life. No, I don't. I know mine. And I worked real hard to make God fall out of love with me. Real hard. And every morning he'd wake me up and be like, I love you. And I'm like, oh, love me. He's like, I got enough to go around. Here's your push today, church. The enemy will try to deceive you. Convince you. Fall follow you all the way until you believe the error that says what you've done is too much for God. You better fix it. Here's the truth. Nothing you've done is bigger than what Jesus has done. In five days, he will go to the top of the mountain. He will be beaten. He will be mocked. He will suffer and he will willingly lay his life down for you. Hey, God. He will be hung high with a nail through each hand and a nail between two feet stacked one on the other. And to keep that nail in his feet from ripping all the way through his feet up into his shins, he will grasp the nail and pull himself up. But because he can't hold that for long, at times he will let go and suffocate on that cross. And the whole time he will do it, he will be bleeding blood and water. And the whole time he will have done it so that you can be called righteous. Everything he did was enough. And he did it, hear me. He did it for you. Oh my God, he did it for me. He did it for me. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you determine who's righteous and who's not. Thank you that you're the one who tells us we're good. I thank you that I, I can't beat you with my sin. I can't, I can't overrule you. I, I, I'm, I'm not worse than you are good. I thank you that you love me even on the days I don't love any part of me. Have my whole heart. Change me. Mold me and make me. You win. I'm done fighting. You call me righteous. I call me righteous. <laughs> oh, my God. Amen. Would you stand to your feet all over the building? Let's worship one more time.
Oh, be encouraged today. He calls you righteous. Yeah, my God.